Welcome to this Maples Group Tax and Coffee podcast, where we discuss EU and international tax developments. I'm Andrew Quinn. I'm head of tax at Maples Group, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this special Tax and Coffee podcast, which is a recent fireside chat that I had with the Irish Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, TD, and Noel O'Connell, who is CEO at European Movement Ireland. As you will hear, we had a wide-ranging discussion, principally discussing the new EU Global Minimum Tax Directive, which implements the OECD's Pillar 2 rules across the EU. That went live in Ireland and the EU on the 31st of December 2023. So it's now law and it affects any large group of companies with presence in Ireland or the EU. We also chat about matters including the recent Advocate General opinion in the European Court of Justice Apple case. So again, delighted you can join us. Please uh, settle in to enjoy this chat. Good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. A very warm welcome to you all joining us for our online European Movement Ireland event held in cooperation with the Maples Group uh, as we discuss and provide a state of play as to where things stand on the EU Minimum Tax Directive. My name is Noelle O'Connell and I'm the CEO of European Movement Ireland and I'm delighted to be chairing today's proceedings And I know we have um, a really huge audience tuning in, not only right across Ireland, but also across Europe and America. And a very warm welcome to you all today. So to help us tease out and examine in greater detail this this topic, which is, of course, more relevant than ever, um, we have a very distinguished panel of expert speakers joining us today. It is my honor uh, to introduce our keynote speaker and our guest of honor, Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath. And I'm also delighted that we're joined by Andrew Quinn, who is head of tax at Maples Group. So in terms of our running order for today's webinar, Andrew will provide uh, his opening welcoming introductory remarks. And then he will be followed by Minister McGrath, who will deliver his keynote speech. And then it's over to you, ladies and gentlemen of the audience. We will open up the floor to questions and comments from those of you joining us today. So, as you know, we are here to discuss the recent unanimous adoption by the European Union member states of the directive to implement the Pillar 2 global minimum tax rules. And of course, this is a significant development in the advancement of the global minimum tax framework, agreed to by the OECD inclusive framework in 2021. And indeed, this is a really timely and important discussion for us to have not only here in Ireland, but of course, across mainland Europe and indeed across the Atlantic. We really want you to get involved in today's discussion with such stellar speakers. You can, of course, email your questions to events at europeanmovement.ie or through our live events center Q&A button on the right-hand side of your screen. And also you can post about today's conversation across the various social media platforms using the hashtag EMI Maples. So without further ado, I would like to invite Andrew to give his welcome remarks. And by background, Andrew is the head of tax at Maples. 
and he is an acknowledged leader and expert in Irish and international tax. And as part of his role, he advises companies, investment funds, banks, and family businesses on Irish, EU, and international tax matters. And on top of all that, he is also chair of the Irish Law Society Tax Committee and a past chair of the International Fiscal Association Irish branch. Andrew, over to you. Well, thank you very much, Noel. And I'll start by thanking you and European Movement Ireland for hosting this wonderful event with Minister McGrath. Um, we at Maples are very proud to be members of European Movement Ireland. European Movement was founded back in 1954 and serves to promote Ireland's connection uh, with the European Union. Of course, last year, Ireland and European Movement celebrated a, a milestone event, Ireland's uh, 50 years in the European Union. So look, uh, there's 41 days to go, uh, not to Christmas, although the shops in Ireland are full of mince pies and selection boxes. No, it's 41 days to the 31st of December, when Ireland and the EU will implement the EU Global Minimum Tax Directive. So it's a hugely significant event in the world of international tax and how large companies will be taxed going forward. But equally importantly, it's a huge moment, I think, within the European Union for driving this initiative. Um, it's a huge moment, I think, in terms of what it says about multilateralism, uh, global uh, cooperation and um, coordination between politicians globally to achieve this uh, economic and social policy objective. Firstly, quick overview of the directive and how it operates. It's part of the wider OECD Global Minimum Tax Initiative, which was um, uh, approved by the G7 and G20 group of countries. The OECD rules and the directive aim to ensure that large multinational groups of companies pay a minimum effective rate of tax of 15% in every country in the world in which they operate. So how does the directive achieve that? Well, here's the science bit. It's, it's very, very clever. Of course, um, each country in the world is free to choose how it taxes countries that operate within that jurisdiction. But what the global minimum tax rules do is introduce a new set of taxes, what are being called top-up taxes, and they are imposed in the countries that have implemented the new rules to tax those undertaxed profits, those low-taxed profits, wherever else in the world they arise. So to give a simple example, you have a, an international group of companies operating in several countries around the world. They have a, a subsidiary in Ireland or another EU country. Under the new rules, Ireland will impose tax on that Irish company, not just on its own profits, but also those low taxed profits abroad. So very new system. And if I might give a few comments uh, on the directive, having worked with it for a few years now, helping clients and helping business prepare for the directive. Firstly, it's an entirely new system of taxation. There's been a lot of talk about the rate, the 15% rate, but 
This is an entirely new corporation tax regime designed from the ground up, um, and it will be implemented in a consistent way in the EU and all the countries that have implemented the OECD rules. So Ireland will be imposing the very same set of rules as Germany, as France, and those other countries who are implementing the UK, Japan, Korea, Switzerland, in a uniform way. And that's the first time that's ever happened. I would say that it's a complex set of rules, um, and the analysis is very much a mix of law, legal interpretation, and applying accounting rules. So on the legal side, there is interpretation of the legislation, looking at the exemptions and safe harbors that are available, looking at some of the deferrals that have been put in place, some of the exceptions. On the accounting side, then, it's number crunching, looking at what the effective tax rate is for these multinational groups around the world. And where we've been working with clients, it's been very much a mixture of law firms and accounting firms assessing the impact for, for business. So really, before passing over to the Minister, um, just say again, you know, what a remarkable achievement it is that we have arrived at this point. Um, it's all happened very, very quickly. I've ch chatted with uh, OECD officials over the past few years. I've met them at events and at uh, various tax conferences. Uh, it's fair to say that at some points along the road, it was quite possible that the uh, Global Minimum Tax Initiative would never come into force. And I think the turning point was when the EU signed up and agreed to implement the rules through the directive. Uh, the Global Minimum Tax requires a critical mass of countries in order to function. Clearly, if only a handful of countries around the world were to implement it, it just wouldn't work. So I think the EU signing up, suddenly bringing 27 new countries to implement the rules was absolutely a turning point and you know, has led to the success of the, of the global minimum tax implementation. Uh, and I would say Ireland was very important in that. Um, Ireland, obviously, as a globalized economy, uh, high profile in terms of uh, its, its, its tax um, regime, uh, Ireland implementing the EU directive um, and being part of that process, I think, was, 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 was crucial. So pass back to you, Noel. Great. Many thanks, uh, Andrew, for that really comprehensive uh, overview and state of play of, of where things are at and indeed the, the, the background as well. And I'm now delighted uh, that to, to turn to our guest of honour and our keynote speaker, uh, Ireland's Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, to deliver his opening remarks. And, and by way of introduction and bio for the Minister, he is, of course, well known to to all of us. But to, to give to, to give his his bio and and uh, to to give his outline and his brief resume, he is, of course, the Minister for Finance and a TD for Cork South Central, having served on local council before entering national politics. And indeed, he has served as a TD with great distinction since two thousand and seven. And I can testify, Minister, to when we were both in finance class back in the day in UCC, probably too many years ago that we care to remember, uh, but very appropriately in his role as Minister for Finance, 
He holds a first-class commerce degree from UCC and is a qualified chartered accountant with KPMG. Minister, we know how busy you are and we're very grateful to you joining us here today. And it is my pleasure to hand the virtual floor over to you, Minister. Uh, thank you very much, Noel, for the kind introduction and uh, good afternoon, uh, everyone. I'd like to thank uh, EMI and the Maples Group for the opportunity to uh, say a few remarks today on uh, what is a really important issue for Ireland, but indeed uh, for all of the countries that have signed up to uh, the OECD BEPS uh, process. Um, with implementation of the global minimum tax rules now only a matter of weeks away, uh, as Andrew has said, this is an opportune time to reflect on uh, the eventful couple of years since Ireland joined with almost 140 other jurisdictions in reaching an agreement on the principles of a two-pillared solution uh, to address the tax challenges arising from uh, the digitalization of the global economy. And it's now over a decade since the OECD BEPS process commenced. And in that time, um, it's fair to say we have seen significant progress in global action to develop a more robust architecture for international tax. Reforming the international tax framework has been a key objective over the last decade for many jurisdictions around the world. And Ireland has been and remains committed to global tax reform as the best way to resolve global tax challenges. Substantial progress has been made with a broad range of new rules in place throughout the European Union to address challenges of base erosion and profit shifting, and indeed to improve uh, tax transparency as well. However, it's also the case that one key structural element of the framework remained unresolved, uh, BEPS Action 1, uh, addressing digitalization. The 2021 OECD agreement provides for a reallocation of residual profit under Pillar 1 and the introduction of a minimum effective rate of taxation under Pillar 2. Importantly for Ireland, the agreement provides that the minimum effective rate for those companies within scope of the agreement uh, will be 15%. And as you will remember, we fought hard to successfully achieve the removal of the term at least from the text to address long-term uncertainty regarding the future direction, the rules, and ultimately allow Ireland uh, to be in a position uh, to join. And I do want to publicly once again acknowledge uh, the role of my predecessor, Minister Pascal Donoghue, uh, in his work in shaping and guiding uh, the eventual deal uh, that was agreed globally. At the same time, we took action to receive assurances in order to protect the 12.5% rate for out-of-scope businesses in Ireland, which will continue to be an important part of our offering uh, into the future. The agreement we've reached uh, strikes an appropriate balance, we believe, between the reforms that are needed to ensure that the international tax framework reflects the changes in how business is conducted in recent years, while also providing the certainty uh, and stability to allow ambitious companies to continue to grow uh, and to prosper over the period ahead. As a small open economy, this is fundamental to our economic model. The objective of government is always to ensure that Ireland remains best in class when multinational enterprises look for new opportunities to expand, to grow and to innovate. And our tax system will continue to be a cornerstone of uh, the supports uh, that we have in place uh, to advance that objective. 
the government's decision to join the global agreement uh, was certainly not taken lightly and I know that the views expressed by you and your network through the consultation process at that time were really helpful in informing the decision that government made. Tax reform is an ongoing process and I am aware of the burden such change places uh, on many of you who are part uh, of this uh, virtual meeting. Uh, and I want to let you know that I value your input and I look forward to continuing this relationship uh, into the future. Since uh, October 2021, intensive technical work has been ongoing. Uh, as you will recall, the OECD moved quickly after the agreement to deliver the global anti-base erosion globe model rules by the end of 2021 and the accompanying commentary uh, in early 2022. Much work since then has focused on ensuring that the agreement can be implemented uh, in a practical manner. While that has certainly been challenging, it is a principle that has been consistently championed by Ireland as a business-friendly jurisdiction uh, with uh, a supportive tax administration system. And these are issues that we have been active at uh, in the OECD uh, in helping to shape. So before delving into uh, Pillar 2, it's important that we mention Pillar 1 uh, and that I remain hopeful that it will be agreed in the coming months uh, with the process of signing and ratifying the Convention uh, to start next year. A current draft of the multilateral convention has, as you know, been published and some jurisdictions, mo most notably the United States, are undertaking a consultation process. This process is important to pave the way for agreement. Uh, the multilateral convention will only come in, into effect once a critical mass of jurisdictions have signed the text, with critical mass defined as at least 30 countries and containing 60% of in-scope company headquarters. And as a small open economy, it is critically important for us to support this work and progress towards a global consensus. Pillar 1 will only work as a global solution, and it's important that jurisdictions internationally move together. Pillar 2 is made up, of, made up of the globe rules and the subject to tax rule. Of most interest to Ireland, the globe rules are a series of three interlocking elements designed to ensure the application of a 15% minimum effective corporate tax rate globally. The new provisions will apply to both multinational and domestic businesses with a global annual turnover of 750 million euro and above in at least two of the preceding four years. The priority rule is to qualify domestic minimum top-up tax. This allows the jurisdiction of a low-taxed constituent entity to apply and collect any top-up tax required to reach the 15% minimum effective rate under the globe rules. A qualified domestic minimum top-up tax has been included in Ireland's Pillar 2 implementation, meaning that Ireland will collect the top-up tax in respect of the in-scope entities located here. In addition, the qualified uh, domestic minimum top-up tax being introduced in Ireland has been designed with a view to obtaining safe harbour status under a future OECD peer review process. A preference for the adoption of a qualified domestic minimum top-up tax was clear in the stakeholder feedback that we received. It will provide certainty to businesses located here and allow Ireland to collect the top-up tax arising in our jurisdiction instead of leaving it on the table for other jurisdictions to claim. 
where a qualified domestic minimum top of tax is not applied, the multinational enterprise may be subject to the income inclusion rule at the level of an ultimate or intermediate parent entity, which ensures uh, that the multinational pays the global effective rate in each jurisdiction in which it has group entities, where for any reason, neither the qualified domestic minimum top-up tax nor the income inclusion rule has been applied and any underpayment of tax under GLOBE rules remains, the undertaxed payments rule may be applied in the jurisdictions in which the multinational enterprise has a presence and which have implemented pillar two rules. This is perhaps most likely to happen because the parent company is located in a non-implementing jurisdiction. Each of the three instruments, the income inclusion rule, the undertaxed payments rule, and the qualified domestic minimum top-up tax will result in a 15% effective tax rate on profits in each jurisdiction in which a group operates. Uh, and we believe that that is important, uh, that that is done across the board. Pillar two will be administered, as you know, on a self-assessment basis under the care and management in Ireland of the revenue commissioners. And apart from the normal pay and file process, in-scope businesses will be required to file a globe information return, which is an informational return in a standardized format as agreed at the OECD. For multinational enterprises, there will be a possibility of centrally filing the globe information return in a single jurisdiction. Returns required under Pillar 2 will not be due until mid-2026 at the earliest. It is important to recognise that Pillar 2 will not prevent us from continuing to support innovation and growth by acknowledging the need for vital innovation incentives, such as for research and development. And in order to prepare for the implementation of the new rules, both the R&D tax credit and the knowledge development box were amended uh, to bring them into line. The changes brought forward include a fixed three-year payment schedule for, for the R&D credit. Uh, we've also increased the R&D tax credit in the recent budget from 25% to 30% for all companies, including in-scope companies. This will mean that the R&D tax credit will remain an attractive support once Pillar 2 has been implemented. In December 2021, the European Commission proposed a directive to transpose Pillar 2 of the OECD agreement, known as the Minimum Tax Directive. Ireland was always fully supportive of the directive and worked hard uh, throughout 2022 to reach agreement. The directive, which will provide for a consistent application of the minimum tax across all member states and in accordance with EU law, will play an important role in safeguarding Ireland's competitive tax regime. It was very important to Ireland that the proposal remained faithful to the OECD agreement and did not go beyond the international consensus. That happened and this is why Ireland remained fully supportive right through. The French presidency undertook an intensive period of substantial work developing the rules in the first half of 2022 and the file was agreed technically by March 2022, a considerable achievement in such a short uh, period of time. There followed a delay as political agreement was sought and we used this time wisely in Ireland. The revised implementation date provided my officials with the opportunity to engage with many of you 
through a public consultation process to ensure that the new rules would work in practice and not result in unintended uh, consequences. Unanimity was ultimately achieved under the Czech presidency in December of last year, allowing us all the last year to implement the rules into our domestic codes in a coordinated manner. And while a number of member states continue to finalise their legislation, I continue to remain confident that the rules will be in force across the EU from the start of next year. In Ireland, the finance bill, uh, as you know, was published some weeks back. We have concluded committee stage in the Parliament and on Wednesday of this week, I will bring um, the finance bill through report and final stages in Dáil Éireann and then it will move to our second Parliament, uh, Shannad Éireann. Ireland has always been a strong proponent of unanimity in tax matters at EU level and so we found ourselves in a nuanced position when the file was politically deadlocked for a period of time. While we were initially slow to join the agreement at the OECD, once we joined we supported swift agreement of the EU directive so that we could continue with our own implementation process. And while agreement on this directive was hard fought, it has shown that unanimity can continue to deliver on important taxation files at an EU level. We have always and continue to view tax as a sovereign matter within the European Union. Ireland has shown, however, that we are willing to engage with and agree EU tax directives that seek to implement agreed international best practices in a consistent manner across our union. Through negotiations, Ireland will always maintain the principle that matters of direct taxation remain a member state competence under the treaties and tax harmonisation is contrary to that principle. Taxation remains one of the most effective policy levers available to any government and each member state has developed a tax mix appropriate uh, to their particular economy, including us here uh, in Ireland. We fundamentally believe that tax competition is an important policy tool, particularly for smaller member states, provided the competition is fair and is based on substance. Ireland is obliged uh, to transpose the minimum tax directive into our domestic law by the 31st of December uh, this year. The directive closely follows the OECD Pillar 2 model rules and makes reference to OECD Pillar 2 guidance as being a source of interpretation for the directive to the extent that those sources are consistent with the directive uh, and with EU law. And with discussions relating to numerous outstanding implementation issues ongoing at the OECD, it's expected that new Pillar 2 guidance will be published on a rolling basis into the future as issues are agreed at the OECD uh, inclusive framework. And it is important that Ireland, as an active participant at the OECD discussions, incorporates such future guidance uh, in a timely manner to provide certainty and stability for in-scope businesses here. Pillar two will be a global tax. So an application of the rules in harmony with other countries will be required. Our implementing legislation provides that it will be interpreted as much as possible in accordance with published OECD Pillar 2 guidance, including future guidance. This will ensure that Ireland will continue to have an interpretation and application of the Pillar 2 rules, which is in line with other jurisdictions. It's acknowledged 
that the new Pillar 2 rules are novel uh, and indeed complex and will take some time to bed in with Inscope companies and indeed their professional advisors. And for that reason, my department has engaged in extensive consultation with all stakeholders over the past two years since the EU directive was first published. And I want to thank everyone who has engaged with the process and provided valuable feedback, which is key to shaping the rules to ensure that they operate as intended and without causing unintended consequences. Following on from an initial public consultation in the middle of last year, this year two feedback statements were published, one in March and one in July, where draft approaches to the bulk of the legislative provisions were published. And this gave the opportunity to you and other stakeholders to familiarise yourselves with the broad shape of the new rules and identify at an early stage any potential issues arising. The large number of responses received to both feedback statements reflected continued strong engagement from all of our stakeholders. And again, I say thank you uh, for that. That said, the government fully recognises that these changes introduce yet another layer of complexity on business, which creates a significant burden. That's why, as part of my budget speech, I've announced that it is a priority for government to seek to simplify the tax system over the period ahead, including legislating for a participation exemption for foreign source dividends in the coming year as a first step. This work is well underway and we will continue to engage with stakeholders to address other areas of complexity uh, over the period ahead. Throughout the negotiations at the OECD and the EU, Ireland has sought to protect its strategic interests and to ensure that we remain an attractive location when multinational enterprises look to invest while recognising that the international tax system must evolve to meet the needs of the 21st century economy. And I can assure you all that in the post-Pillar 2 world, Ireland will continue to offer a competitive tax system aided by what we regard as a best-in-class tax administration system. We will also continue to play to the strengths of our wider offering beyond the tax system, including a dynamic and well-educated uh, English-speaking workforce, common law legal system, and business-friendly environment to ensure that our continued competitiveness uh, is safeguarded and protected uh, into the future. So thank you so much, uh, Noel and Andrew, for giving me the opportunity and the space there to set out uh, some opening remarks and our perspective uh, in the Irish government uh, on what is a transformative change in our taxation system. And I look forward now to, to our discussion on uh, related issues. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Minister, for that, that tour de force and really comprehensive uh, opening remarks. And hopefully, Minister, I'm sure um, you, we, we'll get a copy of the remarks later because I have no doubt uh, your, the audience would be really interested in getting, getting a copy of those. But thank you very much for setting the scene in such a comprehensive way. And I suppose now moving on, ladies and gentlemen, to our panel discussion with questions from those of you joining us this afternoon. Uh, a reminder, of course, you can email those questions into us events at europeanmovement.ie or through our live event center Q&A button where my colleagues are on hand and going to send those questions on to me. And of course, you can continue to post about today's conversation on social media using the hashtag EMI Maples. And just if I may, um, Minister and Andrew, uh, starting off, um, you talked very comprehensively about how Ireland prepared for the directive and I know the public consultation process Minister, were there some highlights 
and and takeaways that you have as part of how you and your department and your officials prepared for the directive and what you kind of look back on with pride from that consultation process and equally perhaps what were the challenges well, I think one of the strengths of our system uh, in Ireland uh, and our reputation is track record of delivery, that when we make a commitment uh, in any area of public policy, uh, we will do whatever it takes to ensure that we deliver. And so having that period of extensive consultation, the issue of, of the feedback statements, genuinely listening to the voice of business, uh, to the voice of stakeholders and professional advisors, it, it played a huge part in uh, smoothening the process of transposing what is a very, very complex uh, piece of legislation uh, into Irish law. So for me, it underlines that collaborative approach that uh, I think is is fundamental uh, to Ireland's economic success. We are, um, you know, a small country, a small member state. Uh, we have very well established processes of engagement. Uh, before this uh, online event, I attended uh, virtually the Labour Employer Economic Forum, where the trade unions, the employer bodies, uh, the Taoiseach and key government ministers were all uh, sitting down, whether virtually or uh, those who were present uh, in the Department of Taoiseach this afternoon, discussing issues of vital importance to the country's future. So uh, for me, that is the big takeaway, is uh, that when we engage properly, when we listen to each other, when we hear each other's perspectives, we hear the concerns uh, and we try to address them uh, and then we deliver and we stand over the commitments that we have made. And uh, this was a very, very big step for Ireland mm -hmm. to move away from you know, decades long uh, certainty that we had in terms of the 12.5% rate, but that buy-in and that support from the FDI community and wider stakeholders was, was absolutely vital in uh, giving us the confidence uh, that this was the right decision. So consultation, feedback, engagement, collaboration, uh, for me is the big takeaway once again from the process of the last uh, year or so in particular. Great. Thanks, Minister. And, and Andrew, you'd have a very interesting perspective as well from a, a Maples group more broadly. How would you assess the the Irish uh, approach? And and if you were to give a report card, I suppose, where, where would you where would you be seeing that? Yeah, I mean, Noel, as the minister says, it was really an exemplary uh, dialogue between government and industry. Um, the precedent was set with another EU directive, the EU Anti-Tax Avoidance Directive that came in back in 2016. That was the first part of the OECD BEPS process. And again, the Department of Finance there had excellent um, dialogue and consultation. So for pillar two, for the um, global minimum tax, as the minister said, there were two highly technical feedback statements published over the course of this year, lengthy technical documents um, going into issues in a lot of detail, uh, a very transparent and public uh, process where submissions that were made by multinationals, by advisors are all published. Um, anecdotally, I hear that organizations in other countries were even keen to engage in that process because they didn't have a similar process going on in their home country. Um, and then uh, as the timing approached to the finance bill, which was published in, in October, 
We had a series of meetings every two weeks, all the way through the course of the summer, again, between industry and the Department of Finance officials, um, lengthy technical meetings in Dublin Castle while the, the tourists were visiting um, Dublin Castle outside, um, people zooming in from their vacation and so on. So really a lot of, a lot of engagement uh, leading to you know, a very final uh, set of regulations then that were published in the in the bill. Great, thank you, uh, Andrew, for, for that. And I'm sure whenever that was happening, it was probably during the rainy summer holidays that that we've just had. Um, Minister, if I may, just moving briefly, uh, momentarily from the minimum tax directive to I know what is another uh, important matter on your already packed agenda and and uh, to do list. But I'm just back from Brussels, uh, where there was a course. Um, well, in the European Parliament, there was a huge amount of talk on the uh, on the parliamentary constituency boundary revisions. Uh, so a lot of talk on that. But more broadly, in some of our conversations that we were having with officials and various institutions and and member states, um, there was a, a lot of talk on the AMLA bids and and a compare and a contrast on the various country submissions. And I know it's something that you and uh, Minister Carl McNeil and indeed a priority for the whole government have really put a huge amount of work in. Can you can you give us a little bit of an up to date on the uh, on the Ireland's bid to host uh, the EU's anti money laundering authority in Dublin and and why do you feel uh, we should be uh, front runners for that? Uh, thanks very much, Noel. And we are really excited by this process. We we believe that we have a very strong case. Uh, as you know, Ireland came uh, incredibly close to winning the bid to host the European Banking Authority a few years back and unfortunately lost out uh, to Paris following the casting of lots uh, in the end. So we're hoping to go uh, one better on this occasion. Our application is now in. And as you know, the European Commission will initially do a technical appraisal of the various applications. And there are nine uh, member state applications submitted. So competition is really intense and this is going to be uh, a challenge. But it's one that we're up for because we do believe that uh, we have strong arguments in our favour. Uh, Ireland, of course, is well recognised now as a major centre for international financial services um, or system of regulation. Uh, and our regulators are now uh, highly respected. Uh, we believe we have the talent pipeline here in Ireland. We have the skills uh, we're investing in education and in research. Uh, and of course, in Dublin, we have um, a highly diverse multicultural city now that is very, very well connected to the world. So we're going to make our case uh, passionately over the weeks and months ahead. And hopefully we can go one better in this occasion. Absolutely. And and the next Rugby World Cup as well. <laughs> um, thank you, Minister, for that. Um, Andrew, did you want to come in on that? Like from a Maple's perspective, I presume having um, an EU body like AMLA located in Dublin has to be good for business. Am I right? Well, that's right. And I mean, Ireland is a, a centre for the Global Investment Fund uh, world, a centre for the Irish, uh, for an EU securitisation world. So, um, Anti-money laundering is is key to that. Um, so absolutely, there's huge know-how already here uh, among our central bank and advisors, um, and it makes sense, you know, Ireland uh, midway between the EU and the US to, to have that um, that important EU authority um, uh, here in Dublin. 
great thank you very much for that and it will, for that. just if i can add one point now, yeah, i think it would be interesting to see how the the role that has been given to the european parliament uh, in the selection process how that will play out because um so both the council and the parliament will have uh, a say in this decision and i think that would be really interesting but it is all part of um enhancing the democracy in the european union and the other point that we will be keen to emphasize is the importance of smaller member states um, being given the opportunity to host significant EU institutions. And, you know, that will, if Ireland is successful, it will also give hope to other uh, small member states who haven't yet had an opportunity uh, to host an agency. Uh, so I do think that is an important uh, point that, uh, you know, as we make the case that all member states are equal, uh, that we back that up in the decisions that we uh, take as a union when it comes to uh, to allocating uh, what countries are going to host uh, major new institutions. Absolutely, uh, Minister, and I think you can count on all of us involved on, on on the Brussels circuit to be championing, of course, uh, Team Ireland and donning the green jersey uh, in whatever way we can on this. And if I may, just moving on to some of our questions, and I think we have we have a question in uh, on corporate tax and a couple of them actually. So with, with my distinguished panel's understanding and permission, I'm going to group these questions together on corporate tax. And Minister, I'll go to you first and then uh, to Andrew if he wishes to come in on that. So in terms of the questions on corporate tax, uh, firstly, uh, Ambassador Thusen from Denmark is wondering why does Ireland need a lower corporate tax rate uh, than most of the other EU countries? And then, Minister, can you ask, answer what is the expected impact of Pillar 2 on inward in investment, on innovation, uh, job creation in Ireland, and then more broadly, in terms of giving us your thoughts on the recent developments from an Irish government perspective about the Advocate General's opinion in the recent uh, Apple Apple case. So if I could just, uh, I might go to you, Minister, first, uh, as sort of a corporate tax uh, three question, and then Andrew, I'll ask you to jump in as well. Thank you, Minister. Uh, sure, thanks, uh, Noel, and thanks to all of those who have uh, submitted questions so far. Um, on the Apple case, there's not a whole lot I can I can say except that, you know, the uh, opinion from the Advocate General uh, is that it is an opinion uh, which will now form part of the consideration by the European Court of Justice uh, of the case, and we await the uh, judgment from the ECJ, uh, which will uh, almost certainly happen uh, next year, and uh, we will then. Uh, consider that judgment and of course it, it all depends really whether or not the ECJ does decide uh, to send the case back to general court or they could definitively deal with the matter um, but it does remain uh, our case uh, and our position that there was no state aid here uh, that the correct amount of tax uh, was paid by Apple uh, and we will continue to defend the state's interests as we see it so we are studying the the opinion from the Advocate General um, but it's not something that we, we we have an opportunity to more formally respond to because it will now be considered by uh, the court uh, itself in uh, making and arriving at its final uh, judgment uh, in this matter um, in relation to the impact of pillar two so I think we have to acknowledge that uh, in the round it does uh, narrow uh, the relative tax advantage uh, that Ireland has had over many other member states uh, for a number of decades and that's why it's important that we 
uh, use the other levers that are at our disposal. And as you know, we did secure a carve out of uh, the research and development tax credit regime, for example, uh, and that's why I moved in the budget to protect the attractiveness of that regime uh, by increasing the rate uh, to 30%. Uh, that was important. Uh, and we have also made uh, changes to our enterprise tax system that we think will help to spawn a whole new generation of startup and scale up businesses, um, some of whom may well become the multinationals of the future. And we think that that is important, uh, but also there are non-tax issues. And that's why you know we have to continue to prioritize investment in, in education, um, in our third level sector or further education and training sector, emphasize the importance of the STEM subjects of research, uh, support all of the state organizations uh, that are working with uh, the FDI community, as well as implementing a whole range of other reforms, uh, such as in our planning system, for example, to make sure that public infrastructure projects, private infrastructure projects uh, can get approval uh, more quickly uh, and that there's more certainty around uh, the timeline. So I think all of those uh, issues uh, are factors when it comes to Ireland's attractiveness uh, as a country for foreign direct investment, alongside many, many more, such as uh, energy security, the green transition, the investment in renewables, uh, all of which we are implementing through um, our national development plan uh, and our climate action plan. Um, in relation to Ambassador um, Thusen's uh, question uh, from Denmark, so you know we, we have have had the 12.5% rate in Ireland for a number of decades. It has been a very important part of our uh, offering. Um, not the only reason why companies uh, have decided to locate in Ireland. Uh, there are real substantive operations here. Uh, the FDI uh, companies employ directly now over 300,000 people in our economy and many, many more indirectly. Uh, so it is the rate uh, that we have believed for a long time uh, to be the appropriate rate for Ireland. Um, but we felt on balance uh, that being part of a global agreement uh, was the right thing to do because it does offer uh, certainty in the future. And that's why we want both Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 to be fully agreed uh, and implemented. Uh, otherwise, you know, there will remain questions uh, being put in terms of global taxation. So uh, Ireland believes in tax competition. Uh, as I said in my remarks earlier on, once it's fair, it's transparent, and it's based on substance and real operations in the country, uh, tax competition is legitimate, uh, and we continue to support it and to support the uh, unanimity basis of decision making when it comes to tax files in the EU, because I think we've shown in the case of ATAD and a whole range of other corporate tax reforms, and not least the minimum uh, tax directive uh, on which there was full agreement in the end, we have been able to reach agreement. Uh, sometimes it's taken longer than we might have liked uh, at the EU level, but we have reached agreement on quite thorny and difficult taxation issues. Uh, and I think Ireland has always been to the fore and has been a progressive member state in seeking, seeking to advance uh, those issues at an EU level. Great, thank you, Minister, for that. Andrew? Yeah, thanks, Noel. So, I mean, the Apple case, um, I I'd regard that really as dealing with something that is historic. You know, the set of facts from the Apple case really have no relevance today with the global minimum tax and indeed with similar US tax reforms. So, back in 2017, in the Trump administration, the US Tax Cuts and Jobs Act brought in new rules for US companies, so taxing them in respect of their profits 
outside of the US. And that was really a, a game changer in how US companies were taxed. So it's historic, it's, it's a pity uh, that it will continue on now for some time. As the minister said, it is an opinion from a court official. So kind of a different legal system to what we have in the Irish courts. And this is an opinion still has to go to the court and then you know could could in fact have to work its way through the courts for some time um but uh, as i say uh, i i think really um the, the the worldwide system of taxation has moved on since then in terms of ireland and, and the ambassador's good question um i heard a, a comment recently from one of the top eu officials who you know said that you go back a number of years and Ireland and its tax rate was the subject of discussion and that that has really gone away with the EU directive and with global minimum tax uh, initiative. So really now with this multilateral consensus around this 15% base rate, that question about tax competition in terms of rate, you know, is really something again that has been superseded by the um, by the directive and by the wider OECD initiative. Great, thank you, Andrew. And uh, our next question comes in from Jude Weber in the Financial Times. And Minister, I might get you to comment on this. Uh, and Jude's question is that some large companies pay an effective tax rate currently of well under 10%. So what impact will lifting the effective minimum tax rate to 15% have in terms of revenues for Ireland? Uh, Minister, sorry, you're on mute. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, so the way that we have approached this is by examining the combined effect of Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. We acknowledge that Pillar 1 is not yet fully agreed, but uh, it remains our objective that an agreement would be reached. And so we did this assessment um, back in 2020, and it does remain under review, but the assessment concluded that there would be a net cost to Ireland of the combined impact of Pillar 1 and Pillar 2, that that net cost would be of the order uh, of 2 billion euro. And so we have that uh, factored into the calendar year 2026 uh, in the forecast that we set out in our documentation on budget day. We are continuing to work through that and uh, next April we will be publishing once again the annual stability programme update uh, and we will we'll be setting out what our forecasts are in terms of taxation revenues for uh, the years ahead. So we haven't uh, uh, differentiated the impact of Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 because of course they interact with each other and overall we do believe that the combined agreement does come uh, at a net cost to Ireland but you have to weigh against that uh, the benefits of being part of a global agreement, of there being settlement on uh, the issue of global corporate tax and the certainty uh, that that gives to Ireland and indeed to all of the companies uh, who have operations here uh, in this jurisdiction. Great, thanks Minister. Um, and questions coming in thick and fast and uh, maybe one that I might ask uh, both of you on this one. But uh, we often hear about the Brussels effect, obviously, in terms of the EU's regulatory powers. And will the likes of the US, of India, uh, China, uh, will they sign up to Pillar 2? And what are the implications for Pillar 2 and the directive if they do not? 
sorry, Minister, I might go to you first and then... Sure, of course. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, Noel. And I think the way that the agreement has been designed, uh, there is an inbuilt incentive there for uh, jurisdictions to implement uh, Pillar 2 uh, because of uh, the makeup of uh, the globe rules that are there. And if any jurisdiction uh, doesn't implement the rules, then other jurisdictions will uh, collect any top-up tax due uh, in respect of companies in that jurisdiction uh, through the um, income inclusion rule or the under tax profits rule. Uh, we have, of course, the one year uh, lag in terms of the UTPR and then in certain uh, jurisdictions, uh, a further year beyond that. But it is for a time limited period. Uh, and we do believe that the, those inbuilt incentives uh, will uh, help all of those countries that have yet to sign up uh, to do so and to implement provisions. Great, thanks, Minister. Andrew, did you want to come in on that? Yeah, no, I just uh, echo that point that really there's an incentive for, for countries to um, come in within this framework. Um, the UTPR that the Minister mentioned to me is really the, the secret weapon um, under the Pillar 2 rules, this undertaxed profits rule, and that will allow the country that has implemented the, um, the Pillar 2 and the directive basically to tax the profits of uh, a, an affiliate wherever they arise in the world. So that's, that's very, very significant. Um, already we're seeing some traditionally low-tax countries sign up to implement Pillar 2. So Bermuda, for example, uh, Jersey have both announced they will be implementing the, the, the Pillar 2 rules. Um, and then some very large economies, Japan, Korea and others have also uh, signed up. So absolutely the directive has, and the OECD minimum tax has critical mass at this stage. Um, and uh, we'll see where, where some of the other big economies go. Uh, China, you mentioned the US and so on, but um, absolutely there is critical mass now for the directive to, um, to function. And, and just to, to take that a step further, Andrew, uh, Minister, I might come to you on this, that um, we've heard some speculation that in a, in a post-global minimum tax environment that, that countries now around the world will, will start competing for that crucial inward investment by offering non-tax incentives. And Minister, from your perspective, do you think that Ireland and, and the European Union, could we be at a disadvantage because of uh, EU state aid laws? So this is an issue that is under discussion now frequently at Eurogroup and ECOFIN, uh, which I attend uh, monthly. But I do believe that the EU has demonstrated its capacity to respond. Uh, when you look at the EU Green Deal, uh, the EU CHIPS Act, for example, uh, and we are seeing more uh, state aid being permitted uh, in the European Union than we, than we have in recent years. Uh, and that is a response to global development. Uh, but we certainly, as a small member state, we don't want to see a subsidies race. Uh, we don't want to see a prolonged loosening or relaxation of state aid rules because uh, it could impact on the level playing field across the EU. And I think that is a fundamental uh, pillar of the fairness uh, at the heart of how the EU operates. Uh, so we do want to maintain uh, that level playing field. But I, I do believe that the EU has demonstrated uh, its ability to respond. Uh, and then within 
the uh, individual jurisdictions. I think that the points that I made earlier on about having to focus on those non-tax levers is an important one. Uh, the need to protect competitiveness, and mm. that's an issue that we have to be very alive to uh, and alert to in Ireland, make sure uh, that there's no complacency, uh, that just because we've had extraordinary success in winning uh, foreign direct investment for the past number of decades, it doesn't mean that it's going to continue. Uh, so we, we do have to continue to invest in uh, the parts of the offering that have also given us an edge uh, in addition to uh, corporate tax. Mm. And we will still have a very attractive offering when it comes to corporate tax, uh, the 15% rate, uh, a very good research and development tax credit system, and the benefit of predictability and stability. So while other countries, you know, may offer uh, different incentives uh, to companies, uh, their ability to deliver uh, isn't always there. Uh, in Ireland, we have a, a very good track record of doing what we say we will do. And that's why when it comes to uh, tax reform, I think the approach that we have taken so far, um, I think has paid dividends because uh, companies uh, view Ireland as a trusted and a reliable partner uh, with which they can do business. And I think in a world where there is so much conflict, uh, we, we're seeing rising geopolitical tensions all over the world. I do think Ireland has an incredible opportunity. Uh, we will be seen and are being seen uh, as a safe harbour in so many respects, a trusted partner uh, where businesses can uh, do business. And I think we have to play to our strengths in that regard. Great. Thanks, uh, Minister. Andrew, did you want to come in briefly on that? Yeah, definitely. So I think the EU, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, playing a, a balancing act here in terms of keeping the EU competitive, making sure that projects come to the European Union broadly. Um, but also making sure that the large member states do not unfairly attract projects vis-a-vis -vis the smaller member states naturally. So it is that balancing act, but I think the EU is very, very alive to this. You know, one very important new development um, is a new EU regulation, the EU foreign subsidies regulation, which will basically start policing non-EU state aid to the extent companies are benefiting from that and operating within the EU. It will include, by the way, foreign tax measures, which is kind of a, a first of its kind. So that's very welcome to see that um, companies will not be able to, I suppose, operate within the EU with the benefit of unfair overseas subsidies or overseas tax measures. The other piece as well, there's a pillar two global minimum tax angle here, which is that if a subsidy is granted by a certain country outside the EU, um, that could be uh, uh, that could impact the calculation of this effective tax rate of fifteen percent. So, in other words, it could be could be added back uh, and effectively taxed under the under the new directive as well. Great, thank you, Andrew. And I, I'm very conscious of time and cognizant of the, the minister having a, a hard stop at, at 3.30. But I am, if I may, minister, going to give the last question to you. And I think it's a fantastic one, uh, as we always try and encourage our, uh, our secondary school students to get involved in these debates. And fair play to Leo Cudigan, who is a secondary school student in Glenstall Abbey. And Leo says he is a leading cert economics student currently completing his project on FDIs. 
Does the minister think that the minimum tax directive rate at 15% may only be a starting point? And does he think that we could be faced with further increases as time goes on? So, Minister, I think you've competition there for an up-and-coming Minister for Finance following after you. I think that's for sure, yeah, and it's a fantastic question. Uh, well done, Leo, and delighted that you're you're on the call and uh, just want to wish you all the very, very best in your Leaving Certificate year. Um, but based on uh, your question there and uh, how conscientious you are of being part of this event, I think you'll, you'll do very, very well and have a great future ahead of you. And to answer your question, um, from an Irish perspective, 15% um, is it and our focus now is on implementing this agreement. Uh, there may well be others who will wish to uh, reopen issues down the line, but it has been an arduous process to get to this point. Really, really difficult negotiations, hard fought over many, many years. So we now have an agreement and the focus should be on implementing the agreement. Um, that's not to say that there won't be other proposals uh, that impact on uh, corporations and impact on member states. Uh, the European Union, for example, uh, has brought forward as part of a, a package of own resource proposals uh, a measure uh, that uh, would result in member states paying more uh, by means of their contribution to the EU budget uh, based on, on corporate profits uh, reported in their jurisdiction. So there will be different proposals at different points in time, um, but when it comes to a global agreement on uh, changing the tax rate, you know, we've all invested an awful lot now to get to this point and I think the focus should be on implementing it and uh, certainly not changing it. Ireland would not be interested in uh, any new negotiation that would result in in changing the rate again. But thank you for a great question. Great, thank you Minister and I hope uh, Leo you've managed to transcribe all the Minister's notes and you, you can include that in your Leaving Cert Economics projects for top marks. So chapeau to you. Um, if I may just thank you all, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very conscious we're, we're going into the red in terms of our timing. So um, I'm afraid the clock is against us, but uh, in drawing proceedings to a close, may I thank um, our fantastic and stellar panel of speakers to Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, and to Andrew Quinn, Head of Tax with Maples Group. A fantastic discussion. I think we got through about 15 questions, gentlemen. So fair play to you both for answering them so constructively and engaging so comprehensively with two uh, really, really brilliant uh, keynote addresses. Um, we've had a great discussion, great Q&A, and I would like to thank the Minister for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule to be with us this afternoon. I know you have an awful lot on your plate, Minister, but continued success uh, to you and, and your colleagues, and we look forward to keeping in touch. And as well, my thanks to Andrew and all his colleagues in the Maples Group. We were delighted to work with you on this really timely and important uh, seminar. And uh, hopefully our audience have found it useful, have found it informative. But if I may as well, thank my own hardworking team here in European Movement Ireland uh, for all their work and effort uh, behind the scenes for today's event. And to technology for holding up for the hour is always a relief to all of us. Uh, and thank you to our audience. So it's Andrew, back to you. Hope you enjoyed that wonderful discussion with the Minister and Noel. I certainly enjoyed the conversation. We covered a lot of ground. We're certainly uh, excited to see 2024 and the uh, developments that we 
will no doubt see in the EU Global Minimum Tax Directive now that it's law and live. Please do listen back on any podcast that you may have missed from this Tax and Coffee series. And please do like and follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So until the next time, bye for now.